Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning and good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us here on Supply Chain Now. This is Kelly Barner. Oh my gosh. And Craig, we're going to do the buzz together today because Scott's gallivanting around Vegas, isn't he? He is, yes. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure he's just left the uh, Chris, whatever his name is, magic show at this point. Oh, look, Amanda's already here, so she can report on it. Exactly. I know. Keep a close eye on him, Amanda. And for anybody that's at the Reverse Logistics Association, make sure you seek them out and go say hi. But being polite, Greg, I'm supposed to ask you, happy Monday morning. How you doing? I'm doing great. It was a a great weekend. Um, I'm well below this storm that seems to be disrupting the entirety of the rest of the planet and saw a few splashes of rain. But other than that, it's uh, it was a great weekend. A little chilly. What about you? How are you doing? Because you are right in the heart of it, if I recall. Yeah. So we talking about weather now or running the live stream? Yeah, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Yeah, so that's how we're supposed we're supposed to talk about the weather. The weather has finally settled down. We had our snow, what is it, snow bomb, snow explosion bomb, hurricane nor'easter thing, sharknado. Yeah. We had that last week. So that at this point is mostly cleared up. Um, we've got some residual ice. We still got a bunch of snow and it's wicked cold because it's Boston uh-huh. and it's February. Yeah. yeah, we check the weather, but wicked. it's always wicked cold. It's either snowing or not snowing. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's funny. I like that. That reminds me of a buddy of mine that said something in college. Yogurt either sells or it doesn't. I'll never forget that. <laughs> well, fortunately, we have Sharknados, but no yogurt NATO because yogurt is on my like do not eat list. There is just there's just no way. And you have to have food in a supply chain now conversation. So I'm declaring yogurt off limits. I don't care how good it is for me. There is it's just not going down. Really? No. Okay. I'm, I'm with enough sugar um, and enough other flavors in it. Oh, well, frozen I yogurt, yogurt that I can frozen yogurt. I'm just not doing the healthy Greek stuff. That's, that is just too much. <laughs> <laughs> so today is a little bit different. You and I are doing the buzz together, um, but right. I don't have the snazzy pro setup that Scott does. So I'm not going to swoosh and swish and whatever in graphics. Um, but before we get started, I do have a few events that are upcoming to share with everybody. You're just going to have to visualize what all of these graphics look okay. like. So we have a webinar coming up at Supply Chain Now later this week, Data at the Heart of Supply Chain Resiliency and Agility. That's later this week. So check out either Supply Chain Now social media or the website and make sure you sign up and save your spot for that. And Friday, February 11th. So time is running short. Sign up. We're going to be working on Friday, Kelly. (laughs) You can't have your normal four-day week, Greg. (laughs) Bummer. Maybe you can do it from the beach. (laughs) Uh, Okay. 
So yeah, deal. And I think I have full negotiating power for Scott today. They gave me control of the comments. So we'll say hi to a few people in a couple of minutes. But I think that also gives me the right to approve your location transfer. You can do the webinar. Thank you. That works for me. Yeah. Okay. I put it in my calendar. There you go. Now, speaking of calendar, we also have coming up March 1st is the deadline for award nominations for the supply chain and procurement awards. First time it's global. First time it's fully virtual. Um, And we've had a great campaign and actually an interview that's coming out soon um, with Tim Nelson, CEO of Hope for Justice. So Scott and I recorded that last week. What an interesting guy. He really, he is a super interesting guy and he's someone who's in the right job. Yeah. It's funny you say that because we interviewed him uh, some time back and I don't know if, I don't know what the episode number is. I'm sure somebody can tell us, but we interviewed him some time back and man, is he in the right job and is he dedicated to this cause, which is great and something that supply chain can really impact human slavery and um, you know, and trafficking and all of the, those sorts of things that we can now, with the transparency that's available in the supply chain, that's we can right. keep our eye on and do something about. And probably the biggest contingent of professionals in the world are supply chain people to be able to keep an eye on and do something about this. So I'm glad we picked that as Me too. as the the philanthropy that we're going to support through the supply chain and procurement awards. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. No, and it's as you learn about it, like just the scale of the problem associated with modern slavery and human trafficking, and it's not far away. I mean, we learned just recently Atlanta has major problems being a hub for people passing through. Um, So it's a problem that no matter where you are, it is a problem there. Um, But as overwhelming as all that is, you're absolutely right, Greg procurement supply chain professionals, we have a huge opportunity to step up and actually make a difference in this area. No yeah. So last event, real quick, um, I'm obviously Dial P here at Supply Chain Now, but I'm also head of uh, content and brand partnerships at Art of Procurement. And we also have a digital event coming up, Digital Outcomes. That's March 8th through the 10th. It's two hours each day. It's free to attend. Um, so please make sure to Google and sign up for that. We're bringing in some really different speakers. We're going to take a different look at the role technology can play in procurement, not the old features functionality stuff. We're going to stay focused on That's actual cool. outcomes. I know. So that should be that should be an interesting event. So like I said, it's free and it's virtual from the beach. Make sure you you sign up for that and join us for that two hours each day, March 8th through the 10th. Look, I think outcomes is what technology and digital transformation exist for, yes. not for their own sake, but to create these outcomes. So I think it's important to to think about what the what you want to have happen, you know, what what you want the result to be as you think about the technologies and digital aspects of your business. Absolutely. All right. So in pure buzz tradition, let's pause and say hi to a few folks. Oh, and I just Going have to show off. Yeah. I got myself a nice mouse for today. So there's a digital outcome right there. Um, <laughs> so, so let's say hi to a few friends Good. that I see popping up in the comments. Hey, Peter, Peter Bolay, all night and all day. Thank you for being here with us today. Um, I also, my goodness. We're going to talk a little bit about you Canucks yeah. in a little bit. Oh, here, hang Peter. on, Peter. So Wait. Stay tuned. That's right. Amanda. Good morning from Vegas. It is early out there. Hope you guys have an awesome day at RLA. Glad you were able to join us. Oh, wait. 
I have a gambling update. Oh, oh, so roulette. <laughs> oh, roulette. How are the odds that is on James roulette, Bond Greg? stuff. You know? Only James Bond wins at roulette. And James Bond you know? wins at everything. So True. not good to base it on his results. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got a whole bunch of people in here. Dr. Rhonda from Penda Zimmerman. Hey, it seems like we haven't seen her lately. I know, but she's here with us The weather today, is too Greg. good in Phoenix, so she's probably been out hiking instead of watching us. And what were you sharing so, about Phoenix back. earlier? The undercover witness capital of the world? The original witness protection program. The original city. witness yes. protection program. It, so there's some fantastic food in Phoenix. <laughs> from all over the country, probably, right? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. All right, so I am going to, hey, look at that. I'm already doing okay. All right, so I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm actually going to share right up front what the four stories are that we're going to hit. And the reason that I'm going to do that is because I think we need to pace. Greg, there's some stuff going on in the world right now. And since Scott told me I can talk about whatever I want, I'm not going to waste this opportunity. We're going to talk some big stuff today. We are going to talk about the truckers up in Canada. Huge story. You can't be in supply chain in any capacity and not the freedom convoy. Freedom convoy. It, right? Convoy. Yeah. We're going to talk about Brian Flores suing the NFL. Trust me, it has a procurement tie-in. We are going to talk about corporate sponsorship of the Olympics. Right? So there's some Yes, our friends at Coca-Cola, right? And our friends in China. As well, Greg, I hear you tend to get a little fired up when China comes up on the bus. Yeah, sorry, I'm taking a deep <laughs> breath now. Well, I'll tell you what, I was a little worried about being the grown-up hosting today. So I do have my paper bag all ready to go just off camera if I need okay, to good. get the breathing under control. So I'll, I'll virtually pass that over to you so you can get centered before we start talking Thank about you. China and the Olympics. <laughs> and then actually where I think we should start, as I said, we're going to pace. Let's step into this slowly because you shared an interesting article this morning from Crunchbase about supply right. chain funding. So after a record year, there are no signs of slowing down around supply chain investment. Greg, what were a couple of the either numbers or key points from this article that jumped out at you? Yeah, last last year, $11.3 billion wow. invested in, in supply chain startups and that's, I forget the number now. I'm sorry that that's a significant, you mentioned China, which really distracted me. Um, <laughs> we just say wicked big. It's a wicked big wicked number. Big, it's a wicked big uplift <laughs> from, from the previous year, 2020, which was a record by multiple billions of dollars then as well. And as you said, no signs of slowing down. And the reason for that is because there are so many opportunities for new technology. And fascinatingly, a lot of it is much, much more science-based mm. and less um, and data-based and much, much less uh, what I used to call brute force type technology okay. that we used to have in supply chain. So it's been a, uh, it's been a big change. I work with two different uh, investment funds. One is for seed and startup companies and one is for growth stage companies. Um, that are investing pretty heavily in supply chain startups. So, and we're seeing a lot of companies out there and a lot of opportunity and of course, a lot of money out there for these companies. So 
the time is nigh for us to, uh, you know, to move mm -hmm. into a technological revolution in supply chain. And, uh, you know, almost all of it really accelerated by, by the COVID situation and, um, companies are responding and they're, they're, uh, even the investors have a tremendous amount of talent and skill and bring some interesting external perspectives to supply chain. So to that point, and, and here's what I was kind of wondering, and you follow supply chain investment space so closely. There's been so much attention lavished on the disruptions and the problems and the issues over the last couple of years. Is this, yep. is it sort of like the gold rush? Like last week I was inventing milkshake machines or designing sneakers, but Boy, those guys in supply chain have no idea what they're doing. I couldn't possibly do worse than them. And so everybody's jumping in. Is this sort of like a, it looks simpler and easier to fix from the outside kind of a problem? Is that part of the draw? There, are, It's always that way. Whenever you have a hot space like this, um, there are a lot of people who, who look at it and think that, um, you know, disruptors are typically, typically have this blessing of naivete. Um, but what you don't, what people don't recognize in supply chain is that there is a, this incredible undercurrent of complexity mm -hmm. that you have to deal with that you don't have, for instance, in social media, right. and you don't have in e-commerce, and you don't have in some of these other technological areas that are very, very complex. I, uh, I would kind of um, compare it to uh, biotech, but not biotech. Tech, software technology, more like hardware, the, the intricacies and the time spans and the requirements of that are substantial. And there are no quick fixes with, with hardware technology in, in healthcare. And it's similar in supply chain. So, um, you know, we've seen a lot of kind of gold rush mentality. There are a ton of, of uh, what people like to call electronic brokerages or technological brokerages, yep. which are brokerages. Um, with usually with just reporting or something like that. And I weed through companies like that all the time. There are lots of companies who have artificial intelligence or blockchain, but it's not really their science. Right. And, and that's not a sustainable practice. And, and there are a lot of companies that actually have a really good point of view on this and their blessing of naivete combined mm -hmm. with some people with some tech, some, uh, proprietary or or practitioner expertise in the industry have really had some companies make hay in in this space, and um, there are real advanced technologies that can and should be applied here. But yes, it is a gold rush. Yes, lots of funds will lose millions of dollars, but that's what they bet on. I mean, you know, the way that a a venture capital fund works is they you know they invest in ten, they expect three to be complete flops, they expect uh, five more to be, you know, kind of mediocre. And then one or two will maybe, um, uh, make the whole fund profitable. So, um, you will see always a lot of that, Yeah. but I, I got to tell you some of the, uh, companies that I'm working with, some of the funds that I'm working with, they have very discerning eyes. And one in particular, Jack Freeman at yeah, Jack's right. he is, and he's got you know him, I right? Do. So you know how analytical and capable, and he loves the whole concept of combinatorial analytics, <laughs> which is a hard, that's a hard term to use. First thing on a Monday morning. Um, yeah. yeah. 
That's more That's of right. a Wednesday but, afternoon but word. That, that is really the root of what most companies stumble over is these combinatorial analytics because there are so many variables in the supply chain. And um, anyone who can conquer that and anyone who can invest and understand that dynamic is going to be a great asset to any company that's coming up as they as they grow. Absolutely. So, so shameless self-promotion. Thank you, Dr. Rhonda. I'm off to a good start. I'm going to share your vote of confidence. We also have Mohib with us. Um, nice to know it's bomb cyclone wow. now that I think about it. So uh, bomb cyclone. So clearly Mohib is not having a bomb cyclone in Wichita. So I'm, I'm glad for you. But it looks like they might have. <laughs> I know. Maybe a couple of days ago, that is that is cold. Um, yeah, and my mom let me know that it was like a twelve minus twelve, oh. and I think minus twenty five wind chill factor. I don't know if everybody knows this, but the wind always blows, literally never stops in Kansas, and it really takes the feel down. Like that is when the wind is blowing, yeah. it makes a huge difference. Um, and we have Clay, and we also have Catherine, and we also have Chantel. Everybody was talking me down yeah. before the live stream. So, so grateful we have the best production team in the business. Um, glad you guys are with us, chatting with everybody in the in the comments. All right, Greg, you ready? Because it's about yeah, to get intense. This. Okay. All right. Yep. Seriously, Freedom Convoy. Right. So this was a story that I really felt strongly we needed to talk about. And yet it was a complicated one to add to the discussion list for today because I knew I was going to have to monitor it through the whole weekend. Things are changing pretty quick and pretty intensely. And I was right to be following it. So just a couple facts for folks. Um, the quarantine requirements for non-vaccinated drivers crossing the border back and forth from the U.S. to Canada right. are pretty intense. And so there's somewhere between 500 and 1,200 trucks and cars that have all parked themselves um, to protest and demonstrate. And I think there's a couple of interesting things that we saw from this. I mean, it's getting a lot of eyeballs. We're all looking north to sort of see what's going to happen with these truckers. So, Peter, I know you're here. Jump in if you want to share a, a Canadian perspective on this. Um, but it, I think, Greg, we're seeing two things. We're seeing what social media is doing around making it possible, especially for long haul drivers that would have been rather isolated in the past to right. arrange themselves around a cause and work together, right, to get their point across and sort of represent their point of view. We're also seeing some interesting stuff around funding. And so the big news that broke over the weekend was that there was a little over $8 million that people had donated through GoFundMe. It hit $10 million and then GoFundMe took it down. So now all that money right. is going back to everybody that donated it. Um, and that was something that broke, I think it was late Friday, early Saturday when we started hearing that news. So this is a, a quickly changing situation. Greg, what do you think the world is learning about truck drivers right now? Uh, well, uh, you know, we talked about this off the air. Jamin Alvidra has said this. If truck drivers ever get together as a force yeah. and they use social media as a vehicle, um, what an incredibly powerful force this is. Because, uh, you know, I've only read some cursory reports, but apparently this thing started on the West Coast of Canada and just continued to grow. And I think of the song from when I was a very small child called Convoy. Yeah. 
where just trucks just kept getting into the the convoy and they smashed the gate doing 98 and said, let them truckers roll 10 four. Um, um, but you're not going to sing I mean, it. They, they, you're just going to give well, us the you lyrics? C.W. McCall, it was kind of one of those talking <laughs> songs. There were a oh, lot okay. of country songs that were talking songs in the 70s. Um, but, I mean, incredible, the power and the initiative of this. And by the way, you know, um, GoFundMe took down the site and then decided to automatically refund all the funds because they had determined that there was some violence that violated their rules of order. There's some argument around that, of course, mm-hmm. and I'd love, if anyone actually knows, I'd love to hear that. But a company called Give, Send, Go, yes. uh, they set up a funding site and within two days, they've raised, raised $3.5 million for for this Freedom Convoy. So interesting that People will, and through this social media, as you said, people will find a way to support a cause that they they believe in. And um, I think interesting kind of the timing here as Europe declares victory over COVID and the mandates and the passports and the border restrictions and the lockdowns are coming off in Europe that Justin, is that his name? Trudeau? Yes. He's the younger Trudeau? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Um, showing my ignorance yet again. I won't um, tell him you couldn't but, remember his name, Greg. Don't worry. Yeah, about I mean it. it's you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know it's it's interesting that he picks now to have this battle yeah. and and to really do this when I think the implications, even science agrees that the implications of this are uh, a non-factor now. So I'm not sure exactly what this is. I also can't help but hearken back to the peaceful protests that we had in the States, wherein we let people burn buildings to the ground and declare areas off limits for police and anyone who disagreed with them and commit horrific acts of violence and murder. And yet the government took this stance on this particular group, which has apparently not shown any significant violence other than apparently fireworks or or whatever, maybe some fights. Who knows? Again, if anyone knows, I'd be interested to hear about that. But it is it is interesting, the power of drivers, and it is interesting um, that in Canada, I mean, Canadians are such polite people. I really don't, I really never saw this coming, honestly. <laughs> well, it's interesting. So, Greg, we are actually getting some local input. Um, let me pull a couple of these up. First of all, super interesting. Peter Bollet, listening to his mom, anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Unique new position for Peter. Peter's a, a yeah. common attendee, a very outspoken rep on a lot of our, our different shows. But now here's a different perspective. Susan is sharing, she's driving around Ottawa, and it's changing things for everyday people trying to get around the city. That's that's a perspective we're not necessarily getting on the news here. Yeah, it's over 500 vehicles. And, you know, my, I, I can't help but um, state that when I first heard this, I thought, okay, are those trucks running empty? And if they are, what is that doing to yeah. the supply chain in Canada? Absolutely. Um, and it sounds like this is a common this. practice in Europe and in South America for dry, truck drivers to jam the streets and completely block commerce in big cities and and um, it's 
fascinating that it's just finally coming to North America to me. And you wonder if it's going to show up in the U.S., right? I mean, I know there are probably some U.S. truckers out there in Canada. It's, you know, not that far. We are connected by land. Um, but you wonder if this isn't going to be something where we're all looking at it right now. But over time, this is going to become a little bit more common. Once these guys have figured out they can organize once, you just kind of do it again, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I, I'm, I, where I'm at is I'm hopeful that we are starting to come out of the seriousness of this, uh, this pandemic. And it, and it sounds like the scientists agree that it is becoming more endemic and it will be yet another, there's a version 223 of the common cold and this will become version, whatever number they're going to assign to it. Yeah. Um, and I'm hopeful that that's the case. And the timing of this really both both of the protest and of the mandates, and as Peter said, these mandates have been in place for weeks, maybe mm-hmm. more. Um, um, but it's interesting that everyone picked now to to make make their stand. So yeah, and I think so. Hey, it gets Canada in the news, right? <laughs> so I think that's that's a plus. I know, and, and we're all here in the Canadian anthem a little bit more. We're seeing some Canadian flags wave. Flags, um, yeah. You know? Which I, one of my favorite flags, the Maple Leaf, so. Well, it's definitely a recognizable brand, right? You see a flag, you know exactly where that flag is from. Um, Darn skippy. So we've got interesting, David, so there's some disagreement on the, on the ground between people. You know, I, I think these conversations are important to have because there are different perspectives. I happen to think, Greg, that this is going to be one of those moments everywhere, but certainly within supply chain, we are going to be looking back and studying this moment as the moment that driver mindset changed, other people's mindset around working with drivers and the structure of how all this should look and and all of that changes. I have a feeling that as significant as that seems right now, its significance, we're only going to become more aware of it as, as time goes on and as, you know, future repercussions or changes potentially fall from this. Well, it'd be interesting if they, you know, once all of this, this mandate stuff passes, which it inevitably will, but it'll be interesting to see if they don't do a similar thing about, um, you know, the inability to park vehicles, to park their trucks and that sort of thing. Right. I mean, um, although I got to say, Scott and I used to talk about this quite a bit over the last two, three years. And, and it has become less and less of an issue. Uh, So, and and I have seen as I drive the interstates, um, I have seen where there are a lot more accommodations. It's okay to stay at way stations in some States, some places overnight. It's okay to stay overnight in, um, you know, in, in rest stops and truck stops are being built at a frenzied pace along a lot of these highways. But it was so. probably a problem for a long time, like a really, really, really long time. And I have a feeling things are going to resolve themselves a lot faster now that everybody's aware they have this kind of sort of like collective bargaining power, right? Even if they're not officially yeah, it is. I mean, yeah. it is. It's, it's not formal, no. right? I mean, it, or, I mean, it may become formal, but it won't necessarily become a union, which is good because then they won't waste their money giving dues to the Never mind. Um, <laughs> um, but, but but you've seen the Sopranos, yes. Um, so um, 
but but I think that the, for people to see that they have this kind of power and that even when on one platform they are arguably oppressed or whatever you want to call it, repressed, mm-hmm. um, they can move to another one. Yes. I mean, th- th- this this thing refunded $3.5 million in two days. That is incredible. 150000 I think, is what the one article said in just moments after opening. Yeah, that's incredible. So, so also the distributed power. We were just talking about the impact that new investors are going to have in the supply chain tech space. Now we're sort of seeing not the same dynamic, but we're seeing another way that sources of funding and investment are shaking things up. And that certainly is going to keep it interesting. The pace of the world and the pace of change is definitely a huge impact on the supply chain because this is a huge disruption in Canada. Yes. Right. And, you know, one of the things that companies have to do to stay ahead of the game is they have to both anticipate and respond rapidly to changes in the impacts on the supply chain. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through a couple of these other stories. Indeed. But that's critical. The pace of response is critical. And I I think there is much, much more we can do to predict or preempt the kind of disruptions that that are occurring because of these kind of activities. Yeah. So let's actually take this as our break to go to the second big story. Now, Greg, you're going to help me with this one. We're each going to take a different perspective on this story. So what we want to talk about is Brian Flores, former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, is suing the NFL over what's called the Rooney Rule. So the Rooney Rule, the intention of it is to increase diversity at the the head coaching and, and team level. Um, Adopted in 2003, it requires that head coaching positions and general manager candidates include interviews for at least two individuals of color in the interviewing process. Now, Brian was recently interviewed for a position. He did not get the job. He is now blaming the Rooney Rule for him being included in what he calls a, a sham interview. He's considering it not real. And I'll kind of talk about the the diversity side of things, because that's something I've been focusing a lot on the corporate side. But before I do that, can you sort of give us the the football perspective on this? Yeah, I mean, let me start with, uh, you know, kind of the facts of Brian Flores. One, um, he's alleging a number of things. Let's don't go there just yet, but let's talk about his coaching. Um, He won five games in his first season as head coach of the of the dolphins he went 10 and 6 the next season and 9 and 8 the season after which was last season um with um you know someone else's personnel so i, I think i think his 20 i think it's a 25 and 24 record over 3 seasons arguably pretty good yeah um if you compare i mean if you compare other head coaches who have gone on to be quite successful um you know, they haven't done even that well often in the first three seasons. Um, Brian Flores was a defensive coach uh, at at the New England Patriots uh, and one, and was one of their defensive coaches during the Super Bowl. Um, I can't remember which Super Bowl. You'll have to forgive me, but because <laughs> they've been to so many. Well, I'm not going to football um, fact check you, so I'm sure somebody watching or listening can jump in with that. <laughs> someone who's wicked smart. He's a wicked smart <laughs> Patriots fan. Um, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the, 
the beef that Brian has is that this Rooney thing is a sham and arguably, you know, these are token gestures right. by the owners and that there is a sig significant systemic or cognitive bias that is uh, inherent in the NFL or maybe even, maybe he's even only focusing on the owners, um, which, I mean, when you look at the numbers, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if how hard it is to argue that, but, uh, you feel like there ought to be because, um, black people make up 13% of the population in the States. Mm -hmm. It seems like 13% of the coaches in, or head coaches in the NFL ought to be black. So, um, and over the years, uh, over the last few years, it's been a number significantly below that. So. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. So I've been covering, so supplier diversity, right, from a procurement perspective is where you try to bring certified minority, woman-owned, veteran-owned, LGBTQ, and disabled uh, businesses. You deliberately try to bring them into your supply chain. And one of the complexities, and this is something I've heard from so many people, is that so often at the time, it does end up seeming like a box check. It seems like a token exercise. And you're actually mm -hmm. inadvertently hurting those businesses because there's a significant opportunity cost associated with competing in an RFP that you're definitely not going to win or investing time trying to build a relationship where you actually don't have the potential to get business. And I thought yep. one of the things that Brian said in an interview, I think it was on CBS Mornings, is he talked about the fact that with a rule like this in place, even though it's well-intentioned, it means you never know means you don't really know, did I get this interview because I have a shot? Did I get this interview because of the Rooney rule? And then likewise, did I not get this job because I wasn't the right guy? Or did I not get this job because I was never going to get this job? Having those lingering doubts, it's hard enough interviewing for something this high pressure and, and high visibility. How can you have your head in the game if you're wondering about all this stuff going on sort of as a backdrop? Yeah. And yet uh, I've read some other stories where uh, a lot of black head coaching candidates have had, have done, I think a bang up job. And I think, I think Brian did a really good job. Pers personally, I have a lot of respect and admiration for Brian because the chiefs were the number one seed in 2019 because Brian um, beat the Patriots in the last game of the season, which gave us the one seed. And they, the subsequent season did beat somebody else that helped us become uh, the one seed in 2020. So um, he's done right by me <laughs> and he's, and he's a great defensive coach and considering that um, he, I mean, and this is what I know about the, the um, team because I have a very close friend who's a Miami Dolphins fan and um, one of my former co-founders um, and you know, he said he was not left with a great offense. He's got a rookie quarterback who's obviously struggling and has always had a, you know, a tough time. They've had a tough time uh, creating a good offensive line. All of those things, too, of course. But I think that the, um, the important thing here is that, I mean, let's face it, the Rooney rule, I really appreciate what the Rooneys were trying to do. But it does completely create a token gesture. And in, when I've read some of the other articles around this, uh, Hugh Jackson, also currently a black coaching candidate who has been a head coach in the past as well, 
set, you know, and um, I forgot the first name. His last name is Horton, who is no longer coaching in the NFL. So they think they, that the Rooney rule ought to be abolished. Mm-hmm. And I can't disagree with that because to your point, you get what you manage towards, what you measure. Okay, they did the two, they did the two interviews. Great. That's not the goal. No. That's not to your point uh, about your your sessions uh, in in March. That's not the outcome that we want. We don't want token interviews. We want talented and deserving head coaches to to be able to be put in place. And I think. If a rule is necessary, then it ought to be more focused on the outcome that we desire, not the, you know, the hand waving that we we want to see that that allows um, the right kind of visibility for the uh, and optics for the NFL. Yeah. To me, you know, having observed it for a lot of years, there is no question that there is if if not intentional, there is at least cognitive bias in the NFL. I mean, these are old white billionaires that own these teams, right? Guess who they know? Other (laughs) old white billionaires, right? And, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough thing. I don't think it's intentional. Mm -hmm. I I do think that it is caught what I would call cognitive bias, meaning they just don't know. And therefore they go with where they're most comfortable as most everyone does with people that they know or other people that they trust to advise them to make these decisions. And they just don't know anybody yeah. that, that can help. What, one thing that I think is really interesting and my buddy, Mike pointed this out is, um, and you know, this is something having come from an immigrant background that I learned as my, my family was very intentional about is this is the way America works. It's not, I don't believe that it's a color thing. I believe that it's a class thing in any country, the wealthy and the elite want to remain both wealthy and elite. And if we all join them, if we all are lifted up to become the elite, they are no longer the elite. They're just the the rest of us. Like the rest of us. Yeah. So, so, you know, you have to learn how the game is played. Mm -hmm. And I think as more companies or more families start to realize that and, not only push against it, but also advise how to navigate it, which I was and my parents and my grandparents were advised very carefully by my great grandparents. This is how you navigate America. This is how you make things happen. This is how you get above your current station in the world. I think as more families are more um, intentional about that, then we'll start to see that happening. So in this, uh, Washington Post episode. I'll give you. Um, I'll give you the title: "The Brian Flores Experience?" Question mark. That's the reality for most black post or coaches. That's in the Washington Post. Um, one of the coaches is coaching his own son to learn how to navigate these difficult waters and to to do these things. Yeah. It ain't right. No, it clearly ain't right. But it also is not going to change until we the lesser mm-hmm. and of course i'm not i'm not equivocating my personal situation with black people of course they have a much have it much much worse but until we and they and whomever else is feels oppressed until they learn how to navigate it navigate this these murky waters it's not going to change substantially so um you know you just have to be super conscious about it and and you have to 
push against the tide, which is tough yeah. to do. Well, it's ultimately a people problem, right? And as, as Lamont Hardy points out here, right? Just like I was saying, it applies in corporate America as much as it applies in the NFL. I would argue that there's not a place that this kind of dynamic doesn't go on, whether it's about race or gender or, or class, right? And right. and I think the thing that's so hard, and goodness, if anybody watching knows the answer, please, the solution can't be worse than the problem. <clears throat> and I think what we have identified with this Rooney rule is that in this case, a solution that we thought was going to work isn't working as well as we would have hoped. So it's not to say we completely scrap it, we learn from it, um, but clearly some changes are required because it's not having the, the effect that we, we need to see really for anybody involved in the situation. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, um, honestly, I think it took a lot of guts for Brian to do what he's doing. He's suing the NFL. I think he's probably, he's probably uh, fired a shot across the bow against uh, some people who probably don't deserve it or who have at least been um, very outspoken in refuting his statement, the Denver Broncos, John Elway. Um, but I do think that the NFL needs to change. There are a lot of things about the NFL that need to a change. I things. mean, let's face it, they're a monopoly, right? Yeah. And But they're not, not for profit, Greg. Don't forget, I just want to make sure you... Is that true? Yes, the NFL is not for profit. The... Because they don't... Wow. Anyway. That's why Roger Goodell makes $200 million a year, because they can't make a profit. Got it. Yeah, I know, right? We should, somebody should look them up on Charity Navigator, see what their rating is. Yeah. So it's it's a complicated situation, right? And anytime this much money is at stake, that makes it so much harder to fix the problem. So as hard as it is to fix in corporate America and society in general, trying to fix it with these kinds of dollar values on the line, it makes it so much harder. Well, and and you know the truth is this this is really the the difficult thing because we've I mean we've gone through a ton of different issues in the NFL. Look, let's face it, football fans just want to watch football, right. right? They just, and in fact, they really just want to watch their team and, um, you know, they just want to win. And I, I think it's difficult when your constituency who does pay literally billions of dollars right. every year just wants, wants to be entertained. It's, it's hard for them to empathize, I think, with a lot of these, these issues. So, um, but you know, I mean, being a Chiefs fan, we have a, we have a assistant coach, our offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, who has been going, he's the, basically the poster boy for this whole problem or was until Brian Flores, who's been going through the process and has never gotten a head coaching job. There've been a lot of mitigating discussions around that. The Chiefs are too, you know, that go too far into the um, into the postseason, so now you can interview coaches the last two weeks of the regular season. So they basically built a B enemy rule. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I can't explain why it isn't happening. I can explain to you why it should happen. And, and and as we were off the air, two two words tell me why this should happen. Tony Dungy, one of the greatest coaches in the NFL, right? Happens to be a black coach as well. One of the most incredibly analytical and intellectual minds of the NFL ever 
And if you've never seen him on television, you should check him out. Um, his ability to break down the game and predict it and understand it is is exceptional. He is he is the prime example for why this can and should work. Yeah. Um, so you, you know everybody is equally capable in my mind, and it, they just need equal opportunity to be able to to do this. And I I really applaud. I really applaud Brian for what he's doing because he will definitely never coach in the NFL ever again. And oh, no. he, he yeah. will definitely not get any money out of this either. I mean, the lawyers will now get all the money because it's a class action suit, right. but he could really effect a change. It takes guts to go nuclear and he did it. Yes. No, he absolutely did. And we need people to stand up like that. Right. And, and be willing to put it on the line to drive this kind of change. Great. Last thought on this topic, and then we're going to switch to something, you know, simple and soft like the Olympics. Um, but before we leave it, you've mentioned the Chiefs a couple of times. Do you guys have a game coming up? No, that's why that's why I can do all of this analysis on the NFL is because football season is over for us. So, yeah, so it sucks. But but no, you're no. not. <laughs> Yeah. And you're a Patriots fan. Well, and I'm not even. So I'm lucky. I'm not really a football fan at all, unless my son's playing and he's 12. So he's been done for a really long time. Um, but it's if you can look at this stuff objectively, almost think of it as a business as opposed to thinking of it in the in the sports light. Um, I think that it makes it easier to be a little bit more objective and see it as a system with a problem versus seeing it as like, you know, is it entertainment? Is it business? Is it social justice? How do we look at it? Right. We got to try to look at it as straight as we can. We we really, uh, as Chiefs fans, we've really had a front row seat watching Eric Bieniemy year after year after year. When we all know, all of us know, he deserves a shot, um, and I believe that he wants it. Though he has been remarkably unspoken on this topic, I, I believe that he wants it, and I believe that he deserves it. Frankly. I hope that he just stays with the Chiefs and his OC until Andy Reid retires and then he takes over for Andy Reid. That's my strategy for the Chiefs. Um, I would love it if we gave Eric Bieniemy his shot at, at head coaching. Well, we're getting some really positive feedback here, Greg. Let me share a couple of comments from the audience. So Mohib's put in requests for the first copy of your book um, on handling the navigation from what's broken to what's going to be fixed. He's he's ready. You just got to put it down on paper. He's he's ready to follow you through that solution. <laughs> awesome. It's funny. It, it, if I had recorded more conversations with my grandparents and great grandparents, I probably could have written the book 30 years ago. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, I mean, you live in a city where. I mean, people were not just systematically and not just covertly, they were overtly, yes. right? The Irish yep. were overtly excluded. Oh, yeah, Irish need Irish not apply. Need not apply. I remember seeing those signs. Yeah. yeah. Irish need not apply, right? So I remember those, those seeing those signs. I remember those, you know, those times and, um, and, you know, and yet somehow, um, the Irish and you're Irish, right? The Irish have, uh, have somehow elevated themselves. So there, there are ways to do it, yeah. right? German immigrants, uh, did it early mm -hmm. revolutionary days and, and others. So uh, I think there are ways to do it. And 
those playbooks yeah. are, are things that we ought to expose to everyone yeah. because they were very systematic and intentional family by family. Right. Right. To try and elevate the next generation. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and I can speak to that firsthand. So, I mean, not that I'm alone in this in Boston, but I'm second generation American. Um, you know, my grandparents immigrated here, had a heck of a time getting their feet underneath them because I mean, we grew up with stories of Irish need not apply. And, and that was the situation that was being faced. Right. Mm -hmm. So all this stuff takes time. We have to keep at it. Um, and part of how we keep at it is we talk about it. So Brian Flores is taking the risk and kind of speaking for a lot of people. Um, and Kim Winter's giving us credit for taking on these topics with the with the buzz audience. So it's it's not easy to be the one that stands up, and it's not always easy to be the one that says, "Hey, we need to have a conversation about this." But that really is how we're going to drive the change that we want to see. I think it is easy if you think about everyone as a person, right? Yes. I, I mean, I don't I don't know a lot of people who actively discriminate against other yeah, people. Yeah. I hear about it all the time. And, uh, you know, again, having had a black co-founder, I've heard some horrific stories, even experienced mm -hmm. it with one of our other co-founders, um, which was a tragedy. But, um, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't experience it person to person. And I think if we think of it as a person to person thing, not a group to group yeah. or a class to class or a color to color thing, right? If we think of it as a person to person thing, you get to know the person, you get to know who they are. And even in a self-serving situation where you're trying to win football mm -hmm. games, you get to know a person and understand that that is someone that can help you succeed. And I, I just feel like we need to do more of that. I, I really do feel like it's simple. You grew up in an immigrant family. I grew up in an immigrant family. I watched people interact who had absolutely nothing in common. Yeah. I mean, our, the neighborhood my great grandparents lived in was, was Latino and Vietnamese. And I watched those people integrate very, very tightly because they got to know one another as persons. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Not as a, a class or a nationality or anything. Yeah. So, so Greg, we got about 10 minutes and one more story to hit. It's a big story. So we're going to try to yep. hit it quick because we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge some of the corporate advertising challenges that have arisen around this year's Olympics. So being hosted by China, right? We've got companies like I think the, the big example that's been written around about an awful lot is Coca-Cola. They are a huge sponsor of the Olympics in China. But if you look around on the TV and magazines and newspapers, you might not know that here in the States because this particular Olympics is troublesome. I don't know. Do we go so far as to say unpopular, depending on where people are coming from? Um, but corporate sponsors don't necessarily want consumers here to know um, that they are supporting the games. I'll give you I'll give you first thoughts there before we get a little more specific. Troublesome is an understatement. <laughs> yeah. This is the second time in in under a decade that we have put we have put an arguably apolitical event in the most oppressive dictatorship on the planet, mm -hmm. right? Actively and openly oppressing someone who won a medal for them, by the way. Uh, uh, they had a skier, a Uyghur skier, who probably was pressed into service. 
as you know, as a as a Chinese athlete, um, which is their their most oppressed group. Yes, right. Actively committing genocide, actively and openly um, creating slavery in the Uyghur province of Xinjiang, yeah. um, and um, you know, to give them that, I can only say, follow the money. Yeah, right. China is is Coca Cola's third largest market behind the U.S. and Mexico. Uh, by the way, Mexican Coke is still the best Coke ever because they use real sugar. Yes. If you can ever get Mexican Coke, drink that. <laughs> um, and you know, it's it's opportunism, it's it's economism, whatever you want to call it. It's it's crass commercialism is what it is. And um, you know, the beauty of a company like Coca Cola is they like other mass companies, they can control the narrative around their product and they do. Um, and because even in this day and age, which never ceases to amaze me, you can control, you can control the news coming out of a country yeah. like China. Right. Um, and when you control the press, you control the country. Well, and to that I point, mean, that, that is how dictatorships are maintained is by controlling the press. That skier that you talked about, if I'm thinking of the same person, it made huge headlines that she was one of the two people they chose to carry the torch during the opening. And people were flabbergasted that she had been chosen because she is from the Uyghur community and people were not right. expecting this. Now, the follow on to that, right, which a lot less people probably saw, is that. I don't think she did all that great in her event. And there's some type of process. I forget what it's called. When you're leaving your event, there's like a gauntlet of media that everybody is expected mm -hmm. to walk through. You don't necessarily have to talk to the media, but the rule is you have to go through, you have to walk it, this gauntlet. Not only did she not talk to the media, they, I don't know, whisked her out the side door. She's a cross-country skier, so no side door, but they whisked her off and got her home somehow or other. And she didn't even have to walk down that path. So to your point about the mm. media and controlling the narrative and what countries allowed to broadcast outside of their borders, it's a really, like you said, troublesome is an understatement. I get why, com why companies do it, right? There is a ton of market. It's the largest commercial market on the planet, China, right? Yeah. I get why they do it. Um, I'm incredibly conflicted there. I mean, having done business in China many, many years ago, I mean, it's, it's also fascinating to me that people are just seeing China as a production organization. I recall my father going over there in the, I think late seventies, early eighties, um, you know, craftsman tools and the, the tools that, uh, Kmart, <laughs> if anyone remembers Kmart, um, <laughs> Um, the Kmart sold were made in the very same factory in China in the seventies and eighties and volumes and volumes of product have been made over there for so long. Um, whatever you want, whatever you want to say about the Chinese people, they are great. They are resilient. They are somehow surviving all of this, but this is a, this is a dictatorship's dictatorship, mm -hmm. China. I mean, even the Soviet union, which I studied in college, was not as harsh a dictatorship, of course, after they killed off millions of people. But after that point, they were not as harsh a dictatorship mm -hmm. as China is today. And that was for 50, 60 years ago. 
yeah. well more than that yeah. even. So um, it it's, I still think of Tiananmen Square, the, the now completely erased from history tank running yes. over, which as, as kids, we got to see in person live running over someone who tried mm-hmm. to stand in front of a tank to stop it from entering or, or furthering its progress in Tiananmen Square, just the, um, and, and, and that's just a small representation yeah. of the kind of things that have happened. I mean, they mandated how many children you could have in China. And now they have an incredible problem because people gave away or worse yet did away with uh, girl children so that they could have a namesake for their family. And um, it's, you know, it's just an awful, awful government. And it's, you know, it's a terrible dictatorship and to, to support it in any way, I find incredibly offensive. Well, and I think what I struggle with, I mean, ESG is a huge topic in procurement. I think it's a huge topic everywhere, but we're talking about it a lot because we're trying to figure out a way, just like with supplier diversity, how are we going to hit these goals or metrics, right? And so we're trying to look at who are we doing business with and what type of business practices do they have and how ethical is the supply chain that they've built to serve them, which we're then hoping Mm. helps them serve us. And I just have to wonder about the sincerity and the efficacy of a big corporation who claims to have an ESG program with one hand, but with the other hand, will turn around and spend so much money in a country with these horrible human rights abuses. We, we talked about it with the truckers. I mean, this comes full circle. Maybe they can hide this stuff in China, but we all have this information because so much, much of it is coming directly to us through social media now. So we know right. we're hearing stories from the athletes. People are starting, you know, even as like Elon Musk speaks out about, you know, the Uyghurs and how they're being treated and companies make decisions about which regions of China are they going to manufacture in. We're all learning as individuals. You can't segment that. You can't like, oh, well, but, you know, they planted a million trees. And so is that supposed to offset, you know, somehow as consumers, we all have to reconcile this in our minds as we get the information. Uh, You know, I think the approach to ESG has been exactly the opposite of what it ought to be. And that is, if we can't affirm, if we cannot affirm bad deeds or bad intent, we don't, we assume there is none. And I think our approach should be exactly the opposite. If we don't, if we cannot affirm good deeds, good intent, good action, good ethics, good sustainability, good human rights operations, we should assume that they are bad. Yeah. Think about, I mean, you know, this was not, this was how I was first educated on supply chain. Assume everyone will fail you. So I have all, I mean, it's not the, it's not the most, um, it's not the most optimistic way, but boy, <laughs> is it a great yeah. way to create resiliency in your supply chain by assuming that if you don't know for certain that someone will will um, come through, mm. that they will fail you. Likewise, if you don't know that someone is doing a good deed, you should assume that they're not. That's the approach. So this epiphany kind of came to me as the federal, the U.S. federal government started to change their policy around the Xinjiang province and their their statement and their policy became 
we will seize and assume your goods were produced with with slave labor in Xinjiang if they come from Xinjiang province unless you can prove that they weren't right not we will let you in unless it can be proven that you aren't or that you are right and that flip has made more change yes. than anything has in in the past and i think if we do likewise we assume not just things like human rights and sustainability but if we assume that companies um are aren't using good practices let's say to assure our deliveries on time then then we ca- can kind of create a scoring we assume they aren't unless they prove that they are and isn't that what we're seeking in the supply chain we're seeking transparency mm-hmm. we're seeking the knowledge we're seeking the affirmation that everything will go right and by right i mean not just delivered on time i mean done right done well done the right way um and i think that if we change that approach then there is no choice but to but to change the way companies do things because right now they can hide in the shadows yeah. if we assume they are hiding in the shadows until they prove they're not they are forced then to change that's right and i think that's the positive note we should end the hour on greg so Thank you for being with me for this hour of the buzz. This was fun. Thank you, everybody who commented and who joined us. Boy, did, did we tackle a lot in an hour. So now, well, Greg gets to go to the beach. The rest of us are watching for the bomb cyclones. But um, it, it's we could have one here, too. It's going to be like 48 you know. degrees. So, it's yeah. like- so listen, thank you so much. Thanks to the whole Supply Chain Now production team. Thank you to Scott and Amanda for going to Vegas so that I could have the chance to come do this. And we can't wrap this, Greg, without saying, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. On behalf of the whole team here at Supply Chain Now, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great rest of your day. Amen. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.